So let's give him, yeah, thank you. I saw it occur to me. There are over twice as many people here tonight as there were in 9-11. When 18 known entities changed our world. And they were dominated by hate. But the opposite of that's Pentecost. When just a few more people than are here tonight <laughs> went out and changed the world through love. <laughs> so the potential in here is unlimited. I want to start off tonight by having you watch a small um, video. I guess that's what we call it. Are you ready? And uh, I want you to think about it as it goes along. And I'll just I'm thinking of a man called Daniel Warren, a Methodist rural postman in 
missing separation. In fact, my parachute, one day while we were fishing, they changed my ministry. What I'd like you to do right now, and I can think of some others, I preach of a little dirty mission in Miami in a motel room named Bob Crow, who just died a few weeks ago. He packed my parachute. I'm looking back at these things that came into my life through people that most people wouldn't even notice. And what I'd like you to do tonight is, uh, I'd like you just to stop and thank God for a few people that were turning points in your life, that uh, God used in some way to pack your parachute. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do is when you go back home, call them up or write them a note. Just do something. Do you know what it means to get a note? Especially as you get older. God used you when I was in the first grade, you know, or something like that. It's one of the greatest encouragements in the world. And uh, so I just want you to bow your heads right now and thank God for a few people who packed your parachute. There's an article in Reader's Digest this year talking about the power of thank you. It's about an eight-page article, and it has all kind of fantastic statistics that happen to people that give thank you. But I thought to myself, you know, hey, I don't need an eight-page article from Reader's Digest because quite often in the Bible, God said to give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And it's, it's amazing how many times it appears, but hey, why don't we just believe him and we won't have to read 18-page articles. Are you? In fact, there's a whole book written by a, somebody in Atlanta on the power of thank you. They say waitresses that write thank you on their bills get better tips than anybody else. And just giving affects your health according to studies that have been made along that line. Okay, here we go. Okay, how are you doing tonight? Okay, remember, this is a good answer right here. I'm blessed and very much so. Okay, stop right now and give God thanks for five or six things. Just, just you know, the way that you develop any habit is you, you do it over and over and over and over again, and then it's going to become a part of your lifestyle. And being a grateful person is a sign of a godly person. Okay? So just stop and give him thanks for five or six things. <coughs> amen and amen. Okay, now, I want to talk to you tonight about the last words of some important people. I don't know how they do it in America, but where I came from in Jamaica, when you wrote a letter, um, and you got to the end and signed your name, um, but you wanted to say something important that you forgot to write, P.S., postscript. <laughs> and I want you to see some postscripts tonight along that line. Now, hey, the king of Israel, this is what he said about himself. I have played the fool, I have erred exceedingly. 
Here's a king. He could do anything he wanted. And he looks at his life and he says, I have played the fool and I have erred exceedingly. On the other hand, Paul says, hey, I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the, the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. I want to tell you about, uh, I was raised on a banana, sugarcane, cattle plantation in Jamaica. And um, I had some cousins that lived on the plantation next door. I want to show you how two of them died, their last words. My first cousin, uh, one of the brothers, died in a hospital bed. And uh, he had a tropical fever. And his he said, Mother, the good shepherd's come to get me. <laughs> and he was gone just like that. Now his brother, and this is, this is going to be a warning to a lot of you. Coming up of all my cousins and people I associated, he had more character than anybody else. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but he got shafted in a marriage really bad. And he never overcame it. And uh, he became a doctor. And was a good doctor. But in order to medicate his pain, he went to drinking. And I remember I got off the plane one day in Jamaica going home to visit. And they said, Ken's dead. And his wife, his present wife, uh, said these were his last words. I have betrayed the master, and the penance of betrayal is death. Now, I don't know what that means, because I'm depending on the mercy of God. But hey, I'm just thinking, hey, you know, uh, last words. Okay, now, uh, Jesus from the cross, I'm going to end with that tonight, and from the resurrection. What were his last words from the cross and the, 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 from the resurrection? Now, I want you to, uh, I noticed something in three or four of the epistles. When they come to the end of their epistle, they give us some warnings or things to do along the line. And I want you to look at it, okay? Uh, I want you to, uh, if you read Jude, and Second Peter, they're talking about all this big stuff that's happening near the end, all the big stuff, you know, that are coming along. But they both end up <laughs> with saying something about taking care of ourselves. Would you read that out loud, please? us take care of yourself okay um, another one this is what the apostle Peter said in second Peter Peter's coming to the end of his last epistle this is the last uh, verse in second Peter um, and he's talked about all the stuff that's going to happen the, the, the tough stuff the hard stuff but he's giving us a warning would you read it out loud please Okay, now, uh, in, the, in the context of my spiritual environment, 
they didn't talk much about Job. In fact, Baptists got a reputation for dipping them and dropping them. Got them through the tank, go out, get another one, and, and do it. Like I told you, I was in 250 churches after I resigned, and uh, in different kinds of churches. I wasn't in one that taught the basics to new Christians. Not one that said, hey, i tell you what it's like. When you, if you want to know why kids want to drop out of school, if they don't learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, which are the basics, uh, they can't enjoy school. And they're going to get out of it as quickly as possible uh, along that line. So Michael Jordan said, if you get away from the basic fundamentals, you, uh, the bottom will fall out of whatever you are doing. The bottom will fall out of whatever you're doing. I remember in the church I pastored in Titusville, I went to, we, we started a prayer chapel, I'll tell you a little bit about tomorrow, but the first prayer chapel where I was in a bus and different people took hours and I went out there and I prayed uh, over a Rolodex roll. Uh, it's one thing to look at a crowd on Sunday. It's another thing to start looking at individuals. And I remember going through that, and I'd have to go through 15 or 20 cars before I could find anybody I felt really meant any kind of business. And uh, I was somewhat frustrated, and I walked into the office one day, and uh, one of my staff members threw a book on my desk called uh, Unto Full Stature. It's about growing up. Hey, becoming like Jesus. I've never heard that before. The man that wrote that book died last week and had a, has had a great, one of the greatest influences on my life, if anybody, along that line. But uh, there's very little emphasis put on character anywhere in America. Hey, uh, character doesn't seem to matter anymore. Hey, it really doesn't uh, seem to matter anymore. But I tell you something, in the Christian life, it's a very vital and very important thing. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus grew four ways. Now look, 30 years. He wasn't out there performing miracles, teaching Sunday school, giving great sermons, <laughs> and, and doing things with the disciples. For 30 years, he worked in a carpenter shop, lived in a home with brothers and sisters, and it could say about him, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, uh, uh, he grew physically, mentally, socially. He learned how to get along with people. The only people Jesus couldn't get along with were church folks. <laughs> Isn't that sad? I mean, those are the ones he had the hardest time with in life. And he grew spiritually. Good. Now, uh, growing up's important. There's a good bit about it in the Bible, and I'd like you just to read a couple of the scriptures about the importance of growing up. And this one comes from e Ephesians. So would you read that out loud, please? Paul is saying, hey, let's get busy and grow up, okay? Uh, Hebrews, it talks about this, uh, another aspect of growing. Um, and uh, would you read this one out loud, please? 
He's saying, let's get off the first grade stuff. <laughs> let's get off addition and get to multiplication. <laughs> and the thought that goes along with it. Now, let me ask you something. Do you ever think about spiritual growth? I mean, do you? We look, I want to show you in a minute, we look at every other kind of growth. Do you know what spiritual growth is? Hey, how can a person tell where they're growing spiritually? Um, I can tell where a person's going physically, and I can tell where they're going mentally, and I can tell when they're going socially because they get along better with other people. But hey, what, what is growing spiritually? I mean, what is that really all about? And hey, are you growing spiritually? Are you growing? I, I know that the church is suffering from a crisis of maturity, of, of spiritual character, hey, and people uh, that are doing it. And here's the question. Are you interested in growing? Do you, do you see the need? Do you come before God and say, God, inside, in my relationship with you and in my heart, hey, I need some changes in me. And I'm asking you to bring about those changes. I'm asking, really, what spiritual maturity is, is you develop the character of Christ. <laughs> you develop the character of Christ in, in different ways along that line. Now, let me ask you something. Where you all go to church, is there any emphasis at all in growing up? I mean, is there any plan to grow up? Good. Well, that's wonderful. You're the only one shaking your head. <laughs> Good. Now, I want to talk to you about this tonight, and it won't be long, I promise you. I want to talk about growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. That's his last word. I, I, did, I don't think I have the wor last words of John in First John 5. He said, beware of all the things that will take God's place, the idols in your life. One of the scriptures. Look out for idols. It's so easy to let something become more important than God. Now, facts about grace. Okay. We're to grow in grace. I want to give you five facts about grace, okay? And then maybe uh, read a couple of scriptures about it. Number one, grace is a summary. W well, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to read them. Okay, would you read that out loud, please? Okay, it's a summary word to talk about all that God wants to give us. Number two, read this, please. Hey, you can't earn it, and you can't pay for it. Number three. You know the scripture. Come daily before the throne of grace. Hey, and ask for grace and mercy to help in time of need. God said, I beg you to come get it. Get your tank full of grace. Number four, okay? Look, it's one thing to go to a doctor and get a prescription it's another thing to buy the prescription, but the important thing is that you take it. <laughs> and I don't care what extent you go for, if you don't take the prescription, after you've paid for it, hey, you can say it's yours, but it's not yours till you take it. Hey, and it doesn't do you any good. And I want to remind you, you can own a grocery store and starve to death, because the only food that does you any good is what passes here. <laughs> That's along that line. And then uh, the fifth thing. Read it. Say, okay, I can go to God and say, God, I've got a situation. I need some wisdom. And he can give me the answer. And uh, I think this is what, uh, and I do nothing about it. Are you with me? Hey. 
receive not the grace of God in vain. That, that's the scripture. Hey, it's possible for us to get the grace of God and, uh, <laughs> and not do anything about it, like having a prescription at home and not taking it along that line. Now, grace. The physical world we live in has to have water. <laughs> it's water-based. Have you noticed sometimes that they, they, they get all excited when they think they find water on another planet? <laughs> I mean, you know, we found ice out here and stuff. But listen, uh, the spiritual world we live in uh, can only go by grace. There's no other way. Um, I was listening to a Catholic priest the other day, and he was talking about going to a ceremony where five Catholic leaders were retiring. And each one of them was... Um, uh, given a chance to say something. The four, first four got up and um, they took 15 minutes each and he said, I was sitting there groaning because the last guy getting up was the most famous. And he said the last guy got up and he said one sentence. It's all of grace. <laughs> and that's all he said and sat down. And it is all of grace. Hey, along that line. Okay, now... Uh, Here's some examples of grace. When you go to God and you're trying to get grace, here's some, and, and this is not an exhaustive list by any sense, but I'm going to ask you what are examples of the grace God gives? Uh, what form does it come in? You know, one of the things I think we need to go back to church and tell people the meaning of words because they don't know the meaning of words anymore. Okay, I'm going to say examples of grace God gives, and you're going to read those, Okay. Examples of grace that God gives. Okay, that's what you can get from God and a whole lot more stuff. In, in fact, you can get anything you need in order to be able to, to live the Christian life. Now look, I, I love this scripture. It's so full of absolutes, okay? I want you to, when you get to the words that I've underlined, read them a little louder, a little louder uh, than you do the rest of it. Okay, let's go. You not only have enough. Now, what I want you to do this time is I want you to personalize it. You see, God's able to make grace about unto you. Okay? Let's do it like this and personalize it here. That God is able to make all grace about to me. Okay? That, that I always have him. Read that out loud, would you please? You only get some for yourself, you'll get enough to be able to help other people. Okay, uh, let me, let me before I get into this, one second. We're all concerned about grace, I mean growing. If our kids don't grow, if our plants don't grow, uh, uh, we want to know what's wrong. Because things that grow, the best sign of growing is that change takes place. Everything that grows changes in some kind of way. And, uh, and, and different ways according to what the fruit trees. Uh, I had a, when I moved into the house I'm living in, I had an orange tree about that high 
One year it had two oranges on it, one year four. And I decided to cooperate because <laughs> you have to cooperate with, with life. So I started taking care of the orange tree and for years it grew up and I had two, three, four hundred oranges on it every year, big, beautiful naval oranges. And then that disease came through Florida and killed them all along that line. But we look for growth. When growth doesn't take place, when our kids come home and they don't know any more than they did two years ago, we're concerned. Hey, because growth is a part of all forms of life. Now, I want to talk to you about two kinds of knowledge. It said, grow in grace. Two things. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there are two kinds of knowledge, intellectual knowledge, okay? Now, I want to ask you something. Do you know what that is? Eh? A banana? Uh, anybody know what it is? Eh? Yeah. We, uh, this is not a banana, it's a plantain. Uh, and um, it's uh, anybody from the West Indies and stuff knows about plantains uh, along that line. Now, let me give you some knowledge about plantains. <laughs> and by the way, there are a lot of lookalikes in this world, and you need to be careful. If you treat this like as a banana, you'll never want another one, okay? Good, good, good. Now, uh, uh, the plantain is starchy. It's used as a vegetable. Bananas are used as a fruit. They're sweet. Hey, they resemble green bananas, but maybe green, yellow, or black. Now, uh, uh, they're eaten as a fruit, thinner skin, color is green when not fully ripe, and yellow when ripe. That's a banana. We know banana is ripe because it, it's yellow. My daddy grew bananas, and I understood about that. Now, um, that's just intellectual knowledge. Uh, you'll never have experiential knowledge until you eat one. <laughs> uh, you can say, I know all about plantains. You could, look, there's a lot on the internet about plantains. You can turn to the internet, and uh, I'm going to tell you some things I'm going to suggest to you do. Uh, you can turn to the internet and read all kind of stuff about plantains eh, along that line. But the reason I'm emphasizing this, when the Bible uses the word know, it's not talking about intellectual knowledge, it's talking about experiential knowledge. It's used for sexual intercourse in the Old and New Testament, and uh, when uh, it talks about knowing God, it's talking about knowing him in an intimate way. Now, uh, how would you get to know a plantain, okay? Now, uh, let me suggest this, hey. Uh, you can turn to the internet and uh, type plantains in, and it'll tell you all kind of recipes that will make plantains taste good and better. Are you in my hey? Make and uh, if, you, if you do that, you'll have an experience with a plantain. I'm not saying you like it, but hey, experientially, from then on, you will not order them or order them depending on what your experience with the plant is. So you may have. You think of how many decisions you make every day by experiential knowledge. I go to this restaurant because I've experienced this restaurant is a good restaurant. Okay? Uh, I've got, I thought I had two plants here. I want somebody to take these, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. When you get home, type the internet in, and look up some way to how you fix them. The first thing is you've got to let them get ripe, okay? Hey, you've got to let them get, get ripe along that line. And then you can eat them. Now look, 
in the Bible, <laughs> it tells us a lot of recipes for knowing God better. <laughs> for instance, he says, we sang, I think it was tonight, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Hey, you want to know God better? The way you approach him is with thanksgiving and praise. Hey, and there are all kinds of suggestions in the Bible about how to get to know God, how to really get to know God personally. And, uh, you know, um, I think I have this on a thing, a thing right here. Look, okay, he said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, my name is Lord, it's a surname, but that name is a title. <laughs> it's not a surname, hey. And the word Lord as it was used in Jesus' day meant the big boss who is running the whole show. Okay? Things, you grow in grace when you know him as Lord. Now, uh, I want you to, to read this carefully, what it means to know Jesus as Lord. And uh, you, you get to know him in a better way and uh, a, a fuller way. And look, you can relate to people. When you got married, you didn't know your wife or your husband real well, but it didn't take long to find out if you didn't know him in a better way, you weren't going to have a good marriage. <laughs> you found out. You know, when people are caught and they only put one good foot forward, right? Uh, afterwards, hey, uh, you're going to find out the truth. And uh, you're going to get to know them. <laughs> I wrote my wife one time I, 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 in devotions. I, be, I was up in um, Louisville, Kentucky. And I, for my devotions, I read that scripture. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And let your prayers not be hindered. So I called up on the phone. I said, when I get home, I want you to tell me all the things you don't think I know about you. Okay? When I got home, I got a list that long. <laughs> but look, how can I change something unless I know it? Are you with me? Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things, in fact, I think if there's an unpardonable sin, it is. You know one sin God can't stand? Hey, it's unforgiveness. I tell you what. If forgiveness would take place in every church in America, they'd be different by Sunday night. They'd be different by Sunday night. And there are a lot of hurt people. I've got some in my family. They won't forgive. Hey, they won't forget. Hey, and you remember what Jesus said? If you don't forgive, I won't forgive. Now, I don't know all that means, but whatever it means is not good. <laughs> I mean, along that line. Okay? Now, would you... Would you read this scripture out loud, please? Listen, people don't have an intimate relationship with him. He calls us evildoers. Be evildoers. I'm, I'm just letting you read the scripture. And we could spend all night. Remember how Isaiah started his um, prophecy? Hey, a donkey knows his master, 
and an ass knows his master Chris. But you guys don't know me, and you give me all kind of stuff I'm not interested in. How do you know God likes what you're giving him? Has he asked you for a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, you see, here's our problem. If you were raised in a church uh, where God doesn't like pumpkins, <laughs> you're going to find a church where God doesn't like pumpkins. And if you teach Sunday school, you're going to teach that God doesn't like pumpkins. But one day you might well wake up to find out God really likes pumpkins <laughs> along that line. We soak in our religious culture. My religious culture at college and seminary affected my whole ministry. And a lot of it wasn't good. It was mostly absent. I, I don't want to get into that tonight. Okay, now, uh, let's read another scripture about knowing God. Okay, read it out loud, please. There are only two ways to really know a person, any person. Quality time and quality communication. You've got to give people quality time and quality communication. You're going to have quality communication in your marriage. Uh, you've got to do more than talking about what happened at work today. Are you with me? You're going to have to get down to some serious things that are going on in the marriage. Uh, because often there are a lot of things that really need to be talked about and need to be talked out and need to be able to do that. Okay? It says, anyone, look, the love of God in us will come automatically if we know God. God is the kind of person that if we know him, we love him. The thing I pray for all my family and people I'm trying to disciple, if they love God with all their heart, I'll be happy. <laughs> That's all I want them to do. But see, we live in a religious culture. I don't know about all of you, but my religious culture was more undo than unbe. Are you with me? Hey, do, 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 do. Took brand new Christians and tried to get them to do stuff rather than be, be, become, become, grow, be like Jesus. Uh, do something in your thing. And I think, uh, these are last words of people. I think they're warning Christians, even in the rough days, they're things you cannot neglect, your personal relationship with God. You can't do it. No matter how busy you get. But see, you live in a culture. The American culture is do, 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 do. And on and on and on like that. Hey, you live in that kind of culture. Hey, and there's very little emphasis on be, become, become, become. Grow in, in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, uh, just before my wife died, um, and in about three days, it'll be when she died, two years ago, uh, she was talking to one of my grandsons, and um, she said, his name's Peter, Chris. Many people know about God but only a few people know him. 
And I think she, she, she is right on, right on. If there's one thing about my wife, she knew God. Um, she only had one year of college and, and, um, and stuff like that. And, but uh, people beat up at our house because they, they knew that she knew God. And I, I want to tell you something about my grandson, Peter. In Wales, British Isles, there's a retreat center. Now get this, where they don't do any preaching or any singing at all. You go there, there's an atmosphere on the place. There's an atmosphere on the place. And they just put you alone with God. And my grandson, Peter, uh, he's in the diplomatic corps. In fact, he's going to Africa to be second in command in an embassy next year. Uh, my grandson went there, and he was standing on a under a cross, and God said to him, Peter, the well is in you. Tend to the well. Think about that. The well is in you. Hey, uh, And the Bible talks a lot about a well in us, springing up with water. Tend to the well. Tend to the well. If he'll just take that as his life goal and do that, there's no telling what will happen, what will happen. So Peter's last word to us, he says, grow, grow in grace. And the way you grow in grace, you go get it, and you use it, and you find out how wonderful it is. <laughs> and uh, and if, you know, if we don't get it, it's not God's fault because it's free. It doesn't cost anything, but it does take some time. <laughs> Come boldly before my throne of grace. You'll find grace and time of need. Grow in grace and grow in getting to know Jesus personally and getting to know Jesus well. You know, um, I, I mentioned a while ago, um, four of us went to seminary together, and um, um, one of them was named Bob Crow. And um, he was different. I thought, always thought he was a little peculiar. And the reason I thought he was peculiar uh, was because he was spiritual and I was carnal. <laughs> and carnal people always think spiritual people are peculiar. Uh, I remember vividly when his wife in seminary died. And I remember Adrian Rogers and I walking over to comfort him. And I came away from that meeting and I thought, he comforted us. I couldn't figure what was going on. I didn't understand. Well, years and years later in a hotel in a Jacksonville room one night, um, the four of us who were meeting, there were four of us who had been friends in seminary and maintained, and three of us had good churches, according to Baptists. And Baptists, if you have more nickels and noses this week, you're good. It doesn't make any difference what's behind them. <laughs> and, you know, hey. And, uh, Bob Crow had a dirty little mission down in Miami. And it, I, previous to this, about two weeks before this, I was pastoring a church in West Palm Beach. We had five or 600 people. And I had literally written God a letter. I mean, literally written to God. I said, God, I believe in you and I believe in Jesus. But if there isn't any more to this, I'm quitting at the end of the year. And there wasn't any big pressure to get rid of me, you know. Uh, there wasn't, I mean, I wasn't under that kind of pressure. Christianity was just not working for me. And it was working for my wife. 
So here am I preaching one thing and she's living another. And I remember that night in the Jacksonville Hotel room between 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning. It's one turning place in my life. Right after I'd written this letter. Uh, this Bob Crow had this dirty little mission down in Miami. Um, I was sharing what God was doing. And he reminded me of an artesian well where living waters were pouring out of him. I mean, I, I mean I'll never forget that night as long as I live. It, it's, it's as good as any sermon I've ever been to in my life. I remember I came away from there. And about that time, my spiritual life was like a fishing reel that had backlashed that a teenager had tried to undo. A big mess. Uh, you know, hey. But I came out of there with hope. With hope. Hey. I mean, God said me. One more story about my wife. And um, I'm, what I'm trying to show you is the important thing is what's in here. In seminary, my wife had a nervous breakdown. Um, uh, I was in New Orleans. She went to the clinic, and uh, Dr. Austin Clinic, and she thought, you know, they're going to give me some medicine. And the doctor at the clinic said, hey, you need shock treatment. I mean, it blew her out of the water. My wife was the kind of Christian that tried to do everything everybody said. You know, she'd go to, she's absolutely sincere. Tried to do it, you know, on her own, doing it. So I couldn't afford shock treatment, so she went to Jamaica. My parents said they would pay for shock treatments, and um, she took shock treatments. And um, one day she was laying in bed after the shock treatment, and she began to think, you know, I've done everything I knew how to do. What's going to keep me from being back here in another year? And God said to her, I want you to get a piece of paper and I want you to write down, uh, I want you to ask me, God, what do you see in me? And she started writing down, had a whole paper full of things that God saw in her. And she said, um, that day, God gave her the verse, if you confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And she said, I asked God to forgive me. And I felt like I'd been saved all over again. Saved all over again. But the next morning she woke up and um, she was thinking, what's going to keep me from being back here? And about that time, my mother walked into the room and said, hey, I'm going to church today. Uh, in Jamaica, they have something called Keswick. Keswick is where all the Christians get together, regardless of denomination. It, it comes out of England. So sh she went to this um, Keswick meeting and uh, the guy uh, that was preaching uh, said, do you know that when Christ came into you, he left nothing out? My wife said, I don't believe that, uh, to herself. But she did say, and this is a good way to handle all new truth that comes your life. God, if that's true, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Because she knew if that was true, nothing would ever come into her life she couldn't handle and handle it well again. So she came back to America, and about that time I finished seminary and we moved to Pensacola. And um, one Sunday morning, uh, I had a little church down in the slums. Uh, one Sunday morning, um, we had two services and one car. And uh, she had taken me down for the first service and come back, and we had two small children. And she was getting them ready for church. 
One would lose a shoe, another would pop a button. And my wife is not a shouter. But she found herself shouting at the Christian, I mean at the kids. Why should she, a Sunday school teacher, be late? <laughs> you know, and she was going to move them. And about that time, the Holy Spirit brought to her mind what she'd heard in Jamaica. And she said, I'm going to try this. So she stopped and prayed and said, God, you see the mess I'm in and the mess I've made. I don't, haven't got any idea what to do. Well, from then on, everything went smoothly. She got to church smoothly, and she said she was driving home, and she said, God, I can't wait to try this again. <laughs> and I watched her whole life change, even her health change, uh, because she discovered Christ in her and released Christ in her to be to her and through her what he could be in all of us along that line. So in these days, uh, there's so much to do. Don't forget to be. Don't forget to be. Uh, hey, don't forget to take care of your personal life. Uh, you know, I when I'm home, I walk. I hate walking. <laughs> but I know this, that if you're going to be healthy, you have to have exercise, right? You, you have to. That's part of it. So I walk five mornings a week, a mile and a half. This week I did four because I had to catch a plane early on Friday morning along that line. My goal is this. Hey, I want to serve God as long as I can with a healthy body. And if I don't take care of my body, it's not going to be healthy. And I'm not going to be able to serve God. Now, one more last word. Maybe two, but just one. No problem. That was Jesus' last word on the cross. It wasn't a, a sigh of relief. <laughs> All this is over. It was a shout of triumph. It's finished. What was finished? All that ever needs to be done for you and I to have full access to God and his grace and his presence. Hey, there's a marvelous song about this. There's a line that's gone through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. Hey, it's a tremendous song. And uh, it's finished. It's done. Nothing more that needs to be done. Christianity, it's done. So take what's available to us by the grace and mercy of God, and let's get to know him. So the last words he said before he died was, uh, hey, it's finished. And then this last thing, and we're going to stop. His last words before he left the earth was, go into all the world. <laughs> I think the great mistake many of us have made is this. We put the great commission before the great commandment. Remember somebody came to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing I do? Love God and then love each other with, with all that, that you have. And so here's what I'd like you to do tonight. Uh, again, let's just get quiet. Ask God what he's trying to say to you tonight. All of us are in different positions. And uh, God deals with us where we are. He never deals with all of us the same. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, hey, you have full access to God right now. And you just need to listen to what he has to say.
So uh, I'm going to turn the service back over to our brother. But I want us just to get still. No noise. Give God a chance to speak to our life. And if somebody wants these two things afterwards, take them home and experience it.